the new line of Louis Vuitton handbags, new 495 horsepower, zero to 60 in 2.9 second Chevy Corvette Stingray. Staying in bed all weekend long, binge watching Gilmore Girls. A Chick-fil-A cookies and cream milkshake. What are you most tempted by? Is it stuff? Things? Is it sustenance? Food and drink indulgences, guilty pleasures? Is it stimulants? Caffeine, alcohol, nicotine? Stimulation? Constant need to be occupied. Can't put work down. Can't put your phone down. Or sloth? Persistent desire to just veg out all the time. Support? You need to be liked. Status? need to feel important. Sex. I've got many more S's here I could go through, but you get the point. What is your vice of choice? A thing that you know you shouldn't indulge in, but you just can't seem to help yourself. We've all got one, maybe more than one. First John 1 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We all fall prey to temptation every single day, and yet God unequivocally calls us to resist temptation. And by the way, that is the word that I should have used in your bulletin titles for this morning. Temptation itself is unavoidable. You won't avoid it, but we will be tempted in this life. The question is, will we resist it or will we, will we give in to it? James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And that's really what temptation boils down to at the heart of it. It's a battle of competing loves to resist the temptation to materialism, spending all my money on myself. I've got to love others enough to be generous with my resources. To resist the temptation to eat a Chick-fil-A milkshake every day but Sundays. I've got to love my kids enough to want to stick around until their high school graduation before I clog all my arteries. Do I love God in intimacy with him more than this worldly temptation at hand, whatever it may be? This morning we're back in the book of Genesis, chapter 39. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one of those as well at the info bar. We're talking this morning about temptation. Last week in chapter 38, we observed a great example of how not to resist temptation in the life of Judah, Israel's fourth oldest son. But in chapter 39, his younger brother Joseph is going to offer us a more positive example and nine practical tips for resisting temptation. And I'll just warn you up front, if last week with Judah and Tamar was like an episode of Jerry Springer, we said, this story, Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar, could be straight out of Desperate Housewives. Mrs. Potiphar was the original desperate housewife. Once again, the story isn't just practical, it's also prophetic. So if you walk away this morning with, with nothing more than a pep talk to, to go and be like Joseph, I would be setting you up as a pastor for utter failure. Because the truth is, you can win a thousand battles over temptation this week. But if you slip up and you lose just one, the Bible says now you're, you're totally disqualified 
from eternal life on your own merit. A 1,000 win, one loss record in God's perfection means you miss the playoffs. You miss heaven. Heaven is a perfect place for perfect, sinless people. So friends, you and I, this morning, we need more than just a good example for resisting sin. We need an emancipator to free us from sin's grip on our hearts. We don't just need a model of righteousness. We need a mediator to impute his righteousness to us when we have none of our own. And praise God, this story of Joseph is not just practical, it's prophetic. It prophetically foreshadows a better Joseph to come. One who wouldn't just run away from the clouds of temptation, but who faced the storm, who endured it, and who conquered it so that he might fill us with his very own power over temptation and sin. So would you stand with me once again? We're going to read the story out loud together. I'll read it for us. The ESV translation, Genesis chapter 39, the whole thing, verses 1 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so Joseph found favor in in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was in there, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, fled out of the house. She called to the men of the household, said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant who you have brought among us came in to to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, 
the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for lamp to our feet and a light to our path for showing us a way to resist temptation for providing such a model for us the life of Joseph God we confess this morning we need more than just a model we need more than just an example we need a savior because we fall short every week every day we fall into, into temptation. We sin. We slip up. We fall short again. And we need forgiveness. And we thank you this morning that your word and, and this faith, Christianity, it's not just a, a list of practical tips. Go do this. Be a better person. You offer us grace this morning, mercy. Yes, you call us to a different kind of life, and yet you comfort us with the knowledge that even when we fall short, we have a Savior. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, for grace, for your steadfast love to us. No matter what, you promise that you are with us. Father, I pray this morning that you might speak to your people through your word. May my words be few and yours be many. Let me decrease so that you can increase and your people can hear from you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Nine practical tips for resisting temptation and one prophetic hope for defeating it. <clears throat> Number one, we need to remember God's presence. You remember when we left off in chapter 37, Joseph's ten jealous, vengeful older brothers had sold him into slavery and then they lied to their father Israel about it. We pick up here in chapter 39 and we read, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. So the first temptation here, before he even meets Potiphar's wife, for Joseph is despair. That's what his father Israel had done back in chapter 37 when he thought that Joseph had died. He lost all hope, refused to be comforted. But God's word assures us that as believers, we are never completely without hope because God has promised that no matter what, he will not leave us or forsake us. Such a good promise. And we read in verse 2, sure enough, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man, even as a slave. Joseph had every reason to whine and complain, to blame his brothers, to even blame God. God, how could you? Why me, God? But instead, Joseph assumes that if God has got him in slavery all the way down here in Egypt, it must be for a good reason, even if he's not sure what it is yet. 
And Joseph decides that come what may, God's presence with him is going to be enough for him. Is that true of us this morning? When we are tempted, do we remember that God is with us and is God enough for us? God's presence, it means two things to us practically. It should mean two things. First, that God is sufficient. In the moment of temptation, we need to ask ourselves, do I need that expensive new pair of shoes? Do I need that second glass of wine? Do I need that like on Facebook in order to be happy? Or is God enough for me? And secondly, even more significantly, God's presence proves that God is sympathetic. He's not just sufficient, he's sympathetic. The Lord was with Joseph in Egypt, but in an even more powerful and personal way, God came to be with us, Emmanuel, in the person of Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 assures us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But not only is every temptation that you and I face common to man, to, to humanity, it's common to the Son of Man as well, to Jesus, the Son of God. You think that Jesus wasn't tempted to cut corners at work? Think Jesus wasn't tempted to visit the town brothel? To share the latest gossip to prove that he was in the know? Jesus was tempted in every respect, just like you and I are, yet without sin. Moreover, Hebrews 2.18 promises us that because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. God was so sympathetic to our plight. He so desired to help us because of the great love with which he loved us that he allowed his only son Jesus to suffer on the cross in order to provide a way of escape for you and me when we are tempted. And the rest of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 declares, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That is what God's presence with us in our temptation means for you and me practically. He's sufficient and he's sympathetic. Number two, an excellent way to resist temptation is by enjoying God's blessings. Enjoy God's blessings. Verse 3 states that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed in his hands. Potiphar made him overseer of the house, put him in charge of all that he had, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had. That's the first reason that Joseph gives Potiphar's wife in verses 8 and 9 why he won't sleep with her. He says, my master, not just your husband, but my heavenly master, God, they've both blessed me abundantly. I've got a good life here in Egypt. And I would have to be an idiot to throw all that away for a few moments pleasure in the sack with you. I confess my sin struggle to you all last week. My past, pornography, lust, sexual addiction, these days when I'm tempted to, to click on something I shouldn't, to indulge a thought and urge that I shouldn't, 
I've got to remind myself I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a beautiful life, a beautiful family who love me for some reason, despite my sin. I would have to be an idiot to risk all of that, all the blessings that God has brought graciously into my life in spite of me, the love and trust and intimacy I, I, I share with my wife. I'd be a fool to compromise that. If you enjoy the purse you've got, you won't need the new $2,000 one. If you enjoy the life you've got, the, 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 the car you've got, you won't need the Corvette. If you enjoy the life you've got, you won't want the fake Instagram filtered one that your friends post all over their newsfeed. 1 Timothy 6.6 says there is great gain in godliness with contentment. There's a reason that the Bible marries those two things, godliness and contentment, because one of the keys to godliness to holiness, to resisting temptation, is learning to be content with what God has already blessed you with. Enjoy God's blessings. Number three, to resist temptation, we need to pursue God's calling. Verse six says, Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. It's the second reason that Joseph offers Mrs. Potiphar for not sleeping with her in verse 8. Your husband has put everything in my charge. He says, lady, I've got a job to do. I've got responsibilities around this place. I don't have time for distractions. My master is counting on me. He's got a calling. What's true in soccer is true in the fight against temptation. The best defense is a strong offense. The best way to keep the ball out of your net is by keeping it on your opponent's end of the field all game. If you have radically committed yourself, if you are pouring your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength into making disciples, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us, then you're simply not going to have time to waste all weekend long playing the new call of duty. You're not going to be tempted to fight fake wars on a silly screen because you're going to be too busy fighting real wars, spiritual battles in the heavenly places in real life with people's eternities hanging in the balance. Is that not exciting enough for us? Like that a majority of the people that you and I interact with on a daily basis, if they die tomorrow, are going to hell. But you and I possess the cure for their terminal illness, and we get opportunities every single day to try and help them realize it, their need for the cure, their need for a savior, to tell them about Jesus and what he's done for them, to pray for them, that God would wake them up. God has included us in the greatest story ever told, the greatest mission ever launched, the rescue operation to save sinners from hell. Are we going to get that much drama out of whatever TV show we're binge watching right now? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Proverbs 18.9 declares, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Boredom and sin go hand in hand. They're twins. Christian, your master Jesus has left you with a job to do, a great commission. Don't be slack in your work. One of the best ways you can resist personal temptation is to stay so busy fighting the good fight that you don't even have to worry about the evil one. Fight for Christ and the fight against temptation may well take care of itself. 
Number four, we must each recognize God's unique design in wiring us to be the way we are. How has God designed you individually, uniquely? What are your areas of weakness? Where are you most naturally prone to temptation? Part of resisting temptation is knowing where you should most expect it. Verse 6 explains that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Guys like me and Joe, we, we can't afford to be alone with a member of the opposite sex because women just can't seem to help themselves around us. I mean, if I had a nickel for every woman was throwing herself at me like Mrs. Potiphar here, I would have no nickels. <laughs> However, there are plenty of fake digital women who get thrown, thrown at me online. And I've got to know that that's an area where I'm more vulnerable, vulnerable to temptation. I've got to take the proper precautions, therefore, to prevent putting myself in a bad situation. Accountability software, accountability partners, prayer. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak, right? Pray. How about you? Where are your areas of weakness? Do you need people's approval? You may want to stay away from things like social media might be a dangerous place for you. Are you tempted by idleness? Endless scrolling, again, social media may be a bad idea. Do you have a short fuse? Are you tempted to type things that you would never say to someone's face? Don't go on social media. The takeaway is, no matter how God has designed you, social media is dangerous. I guess that's, it can be a powerful, useful tool, but it can also be powerfully destructive it's a temptation. Use it cautiously, wisely, sparingly. That's just one example. Each of us must know our own areas of weakness and develop them. Don't just resign yourself to let that be a weakness forever. I have a pastor friend who took a personality test years ago, and it revealed that he had a temptation, a tendency toward domineering, toward bullying and browbeating others into getting his way. And God used that to open his eyes to a weakness. And so he confessed and he repented of it. And he began praying, God, would you change me? Would you grow me in this area? I don't want to be like that. And he told me he retook the same test a few years later and his personality had literally changed. I thought that those tests, usually they say on those tests, you can't change personality types. It's inherent to us at the deepest level of who we are. I guess they didn't check with God. God can do anything, but you've got to ask him. We've got to know ourselves and with God help, God's help, grow ourselves. Number five, consider God's actuality. Consider God's actuality like that God actually exists, that there is actually a higher power to whom you and I and every person who has ever lived must one day give account, actually answer, because God has actually given us his word to live by, and it's actually good for us, and yet he actually expects us to follow it. Joseph considers God's actuality. Look at verse 7. 
Here comes the temptation. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now, Potiphar was in the upper echelon of Egyptian society. Uh, after Pharaoh himself, Potiphar would have had his pick of suitable wives to choose from. What I'm getting at is Potiphar's wife was probably a babe. She was no doubt a very attractive woman, and lest you think we're not dealing with real temptation here, Joseph is a red-blooded man. Teenager, in fact. Remember, he was sold into slavery at age 17, and so his hormones are raging, and here comes Angelina Jolie. I'm so old. I don't even know who's, who's considered hot anymore. Megan Fox, here she comes, already, I'm guessing, stripped down to her lingerie. She doesn't even bother flirting with him. She gets right down to business. Lie with me, Joseph. I want you in my bed right now. He's in a pagan land filled with pagan values. Mr. Potiphar is nowhere to be seen. She assures Joseph that no one will ever find out. In fact, Joseph knows he'd be taking a risk to refuse her advances. He'd be upsetting her, and she has the power to destroy him, a slave. In his flesh, Joseph wants her. And she definitely wants him. No one ever has to find out. Except God. God will know. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23.24, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He sees what you click behind closed doors. So be good for goodness sake. Joseph replies in verse 9, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Against you, Mrs. Potiphar? Against God? More than anyone else, I don't want to sin against God. King David, after, after David fell prey to temptation, similar story, you may remember David noticed Bathsheba bathing on her roof. She's another babe next door. He sent for her. He slept with her. He impregnated her. And then he had to kill her husband Uriah to cover it up. David is another example of how not to resist temptation and the consequences of not resisting. But after David is confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin, you remember what David famously wrote in Psalm 51? said, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against who? You and you only, O oh God, have I sinned. Uriah may beg to differ, but David's point is that ultimately all sin is first and foremost an affront to God, to God's perfect character, to God's righteous law, to God's good design for us. And if you and I would train ourselves to stop and to consciously consider God, that he 
actually lives in my heart, the Holy Spirit. He's along for every ride with me. If we considered God before every thought, every word, every decision, every action, how would it change the way we live? We need to consider God. Number six, we need to avoid God's adversary. An adversary is a person, group, or force that opposes or attacks. Mrs. Potiphar, she opposes God's law here, and she attacks Joseph in the process. How does a believer deal with such a person? We're called to avoid them. Verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, this wasn't a one-time thing, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. She sexually harasses him day after day. Who knows how long this goes on? And she starts to vary her tactics. Some days, she's trying to convince him, just, just lie beside me. See that? Lighten up, Joseph. Listen, we don't have to do anything. Just lay down next to me. Let me give you a foot rub. You're on your feet all day, running the house. You deserve it. You've earned it. Other times, she gets impatient, and she goes, once again, with the more direct attack, be with me. He walks in his, his bedroom. She's already disrobed, waiting for him on the bed. But day after day, it says he would not even listen to her. He gives no ear to her advances. Ephesians 4.27, don't give the devil a foothold. It was David's problem. David's whole sin sequence that ended in adultery and murder. Do you remember how it started? Remember, an affair doesn't start in the bedroom. Things went awry long before he ever saw Bathsheba on the rooftop. 2 Samuel 11.1 1 says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. And it's all downhill from there. David's the king. He's supposed to be out at battle with his troops. But instead, David decides he's going to set this one out. I mean, after all, I've slayed thousands of Philistines. I've, I've paid my dues. I've earned a little break. Scripture warns us against taking breaks in the fight against temptation. Because our adversary doesn't take breaks. That's the thing. The Bible says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking someone to devour. You and I have a much greater adversary than Mrs. Potiphar, than pornography, than materialism, greed, envy, lust, pride, sloth, slander, hypocrisy, whatever your vice, they're all just pawns of a real adversary lurking behind the scenes. And he, Satan, will use any means necessary to bring Joseph, to bring me, to bring you, to bring every believer down. That is his complete MO. To devour us. So scripture exhorts us. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Expect Satan to attack you. Expect temptation. And resist it. Avoid it. Whenever possible, altogether, avoid it. How did Christ teach us to pray? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, would you spare us from temptation? We don't even want the chance to sin against you. But if you can't avoid it altogether, then number seven, flee temptation. Flee 
things that are in opposition to God. Verse 11, run for your life. But one day when Joseph went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house was there in the the house. She caught him by the garment. Now, harassment has turned into sexual assault, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. What would it look like for you to flee temptation? Fast forwarding through the sex scene, avoiding the public pool. When the girls start dishing on the latest gossip, you simply walk out of the room. Maybe it means finding new friends altogether. You can't hang out with your old party crew anymore. Maybe it means taking a time out in the middle of the argument, telling your spouse, you know what, I just need a minute to cool off so I don't sin in my anger, say something I regret later. Deleting that app, canceling that subscription, turning off the news. Remember, God has promised to provide a way of escape from temptation, but we still have to take it. He's, he's going he's to provide an exit door, but you've got to walk out it. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. And here's God's promise if we do. James 4.7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you flee from Satan long enough, far enough, consistently enough, he is going to start fleeing from you. Because Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. Satan's got limited resources to work with, so he's not going to keep wasting them on you if he never makes any headway with his attempts to tempt you. Flee the adversary. Mortify your flesh. And number A trust God's providence. Mrs. Potiphar, she finally gives up. She is insulted. She is mad. Joseph, if I can't have you, I'm going to have your head. And now she's got the evidence too. She says, look, his garment. She calls the other servants in. She spins her lie. He sexually assaulted me. Verse 16, They wait for Potiphar to come home. Poor Joseph, still outside in his birthday suit, just waiting. Verse 17, she tells her husband the same lie. And verse 19, his anger was kindled. And what does Joseph do? That whole time, what does Joseph say? Not a word, right? Not a word like Jesus, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He's silent through his trial. I heard John MacArthur speak at a pastor's conference once. He led a breakout session on enduring hardship in the ministry, and he shared stories of all the congregants, all the elders over his 50 years of pastoring who've come after him, tried to get him fired. And when he was asked how he responded, he said, I didn't. He said, I let my preaching, my teaching, my pastoring, my shepherding, my actions do the talking for me. He said, live your life, do your ministry in such a way that you don't have to make a defense. 
Leave it in God's hands. Trust God's providence. Joseph went from being the favorite son on top of the world to being a slave. Now he's gone from being in charge of the palace to being in prison. And through it all, the one constant is what? God. God never left him. God never stepped off his throne. The nations rage. Kingdoms rise and fall. Only one thing remains through it all. The Ancient of Days. He's the one constant. None of this caught God by surprise. And by the way, that's true even of the temptations that we endure. None of our temptations catch God by surprise. In fact, while God does not tempt him, us himself directly, he does allow us to be tempted, to be tested for the purpose of our sanctification. James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we can trust that if God is allowing us to face something, even if we've prayed, Father, lead me not into temptation. Spare me. Like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove this thorn that he put in my flesh, this temptation, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness trust God's providence and God's sustenance to get you through, see you through to the other side. And that means, lastly, that even while we await final deliverance, number nine, we can hope in God's redemption. We have hope in God's redemption. The chapter ends with the two greatest words in all of Scripture, but God. But God, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. He's still with Joseph. The God of the palace is the God of the prison. The God when you're a son is a God when you're a slave. He never left, and that means Joseph's story doesn't end in the pit. It doesn't end in the prison. If the story isn't good yet, that means the story's not over. Because we know how God's story ends. I know how my story ends because of what Christ has done for me on the cross, in the empty tomb. Sin, death, temptation, they don't get the final word anymore because I serve a but God kind of God. The kind of God who, even when I fail time and time again, even when I'm not a Joseph, even when I'm a Judah instead, even when, when I'm a King David instead, when I fall into temptation, over and over again, my story doesn't end with sinner, with screw up. He failed again. He's hopeless. My story ends. Your story can end with those two beautiful words. But God... But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise God that he is a but God kind of God. Amen. Let's pray.